Hey there, before we get started, just a little disclaimer. The following episode is going to be based on a topic that some people may find a little sensitive. That is black history, faith communities, non-belief, and the way those things all play on each other. With that said, we welcome you. But if you feel like you may want to put this off for another time when you're ready to go down that rabbit hole, this is a good time to put it in the saved folder and come back whenever you're ready. Otherwise, let's go. On this episode, we're checking in with my co-host and the show's co-creator, Verdell Wright. Yep, today we're just featuring conversations between the author, advocate, writer, ex-seminarian, and, well, writer and ex-minister of music, among so many other things. This When Burdell and I sat down to create this show, we had a few clear goals to discuss where we're headed in terms of where we've been historically and where we are now, but also to open or continue a dialogue that dispels the notion that black people can't be atheists or that we don't have any reason to be. Hopefully, as you've listened uh, to the stories and listened to the different aspects of life and history, and involvement that black people have had in our own survival and the forces that have been working against us for so long. Hopefully you can see that there are black people who are atheists and who are critical of faith and who contribute to society and who love people and who love life. That not believing in God is not a melanin deficiency. And also that regardless of what you, the listener, may actually identify as, that hopefully through this show, you'll see that that religion is not benign and that there's no reason to pretend it is. Aside from cultural genocide, pitiless suffering, oppression of peoples, financial exploitation, lies, and so forth, the doubt and skepticism of non-believers is well warranted. And some of the side effects of childhood indoctrination can include anxiety, terror, lack of trust, immaturity, inability to make decisions, sexual hang-ups, inability to understand science, or to determine fact from fantasy. So I figured that after 10 or 11 episodes, this is a good place for us to have just an open conversation. Let's just talk and process together. This is Conversations. where we're headed. <laughs> I got to get used to saying that. That's going to trip me up because I speak a lot and sometimes two W's just really twist my mouth up. I don't <laughs> I did a whole thesis on evangelical culture and I still have to pause so, mm-hmm. so I don't mess it up. Yeah. Blur those two letters together. Yeah. I started it's... my academic career with a word that I can barely say. <laughs> I, yeah, it's just like... <laughs> I don't know. We we all have to slow down sometimes. I guess that's the point of it all. Um, so before I talk about myself, uh, Burdell, I want to hear a little bit about you. Let's uh, give a little insight into uh, what your background is and who you are for the listeners. 
Okay, well, uh, again, my name is Verdell. Um, in terms of my background, I guess I can start with what brings me to being on this podcast. Um, once upon a time, in a, in a few previous chapters of my life back, I was a minister. Um, I was a Christian, and I um, said I've been around many, of, many if not most of the Christian blocks and, and uh, participated in a number of different Christian flavors, anywhere from evangelical, traditional, uh, more mainline, and even very progressive. And um, along that journey, which I'm sure in our conversation will break down even more and more, um, the more I learned and the more I grew as a person, and I would say even the more I grew and healed as a person, um, the more Christianity became more and more untenable for me. Um, the questions began to mount. And you know, they, it's a common saying that your faith is only as strong as your doubts. And I would add to that that sometimes your doubts are better than your faith. <laughs> your doubts are telling you something about your faith. Um, and that at some point, you, you know, everybody doubts something and it's fine. But at a certain point, if you have that many doubts, like you have to go look through your partner's phone, that means you don't trust them, right? And so it's not a question of if, if you don't. And so I found myself looking through Jesus' phone um, <laughs> a little bit too much. Um, asking him for receipts. Where you been? Where where were you at last night? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, literally like looking at my life, things that were happening in my life during that time and what's happening in the world. Um, you know, and after a while, just I, I fought really hard to try to keep it going. You know, I did not leave the Christian faith because of conservative traditional ideas. I was actually a very progressive Christian. And even that wasn't enough. Um, to hold me, and I fought to keep that little flame lit. But then once I realized that for people in my family, and most likely for folks in the families that we represent, Christianity was a trauma response. Um, and what I mean, and, and it's complicated, it's really complicated when, when you say that, but I think it still holds true is that their Christian beliefs were the way that they dealt with the harm and the abuse that they encountered in their lives. And they passed that on down to me. I was not forced to go to church, but I kind of was not given any other option but the Jesus way. And that the, the really difficult challenges in my young life were kind of framed as, well, you're very special. And that's why the devil is bothering you. And that's why you're going through a lot of hard things because in the future it's going to be so much better. And then I got to a decent part of my future and I said, well, it's getting worse. <laughs> and so that allowed me to drop it. And that's kind of the short story about how I ended up here. Can you talk about what you meant by, or what those family members meant by saying you're very special? What did that mean? Was that code for something? Well, you know, I don't know if this is particularly with like black Americans. I don't know. This might be just be a black American thing. Um, and it's definitely black American gay men who have grew up, grown up in or around Christianity. It's like if you are perceived to be a boy and you can read like without help, then you're gay or anointed. Those are the options. 
Yeah. <laughs> like if you are of a quieter spirit. Yeah. And you know, you seem like you know the phrase, oh, you know, this kid has been here before type of thing. Yeah. Then we, you know, it's so many things that could be one just their overall demeanor, but all types of different neurotypes or or they're scared to be with the other kids for some reason. It's like none of that really comes into the mind. It's more like, oh wow, you like to read. You listen to adults. You you're six, but you sound like you're eight. Wow. Anointing. You are called. And so I mean, I think that's what the assumption, like I was very smart in school, um, very um, perceived as well behaved, but in reality, I was really very amiable. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't, I was, you know, kind of giving people what they wanted mm-hmm. um, in, in, in that regard, the best way I could. Uh, but that's really um, what that was. Um, that's really what that meant. It's like, you know, you're a special kid and instead of dealing with the traumas that I was enduring, um, the fact that God, the fact that I was special and chosen was kind of the thing given to me that helped to help me through. And it wasn't like it was this menacing, evil thing, like we're gonna give you this so that way we don't have to do anything. It wasn't like that. The reality is that's very likely how they dealt with the issues that were going on in and around and to them. And so that was what they gave to me. Um, But then once I realized that that's reason, the reason why I was, you know, and it's not that there was not a hefty amount of personal choice. I think one of the reasons why the Christian wheels fell off is that I did take it too far. Mm -hmm. I took it seriously. Whereas in Mm -hmm. most people actually take it culturally. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think something we can talk about too. Um, that I couldn't square it anymore once I understood that no, this was kind of I was not forced, but I was kind of wound up and directed in this way, and never truly had a chance to pick something else for myself. I just uh, wrote a piece earlier this week where um, I talked about uh, that aspect of of so many of our experiences with um, with this particular faith, um, but not exclusive to Christianity, which is the seriousness. And one of the things, or the last thing that I wrote was that um, everything about what can be and what has been problematic about this particular belief system only begins to be a problem once you start taking it seriously, you know? Yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, I, I have found a similar reflection in, of, of my own in that um, sometimes when I talk to people and, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Um, a lot of times when folks like you or I engage in these conversations or when we air it out for other folks to hear um, a lot of times uh, those who are listening, who are still in the faith, who are still Christians or who still have some uh, nominal Christian belief, will start to get offended. Um, and you can start to see the eye rise a little bit in the conversation because oh, yeah. there's, there's this personal emotional reaction because they feel like 
um, there's a personal attack there. And, and, you know, we, we often talk about what that means, but, um, there's a tendency to sort of say, uh, in a sense, you took it too seriously. Um, and then there's also in, in combination with that, this idea of, um, you know, not all Christians are like that, but not all Christians defense. They're not, it's basically uh, what we call a no true Scotsman kind of uh, mentality. Um, uh, for those of you who may not know that, uh, just check that out. No true Scotsman. It's, 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 it, it recalls purity in the sort of problematic way we think about original uh, Christianity, the original, originalist uh, approach or, 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 gradient of Christianity as being the one true form. And it, it, it's a way of excusing and erasing all sorts of other people and other actions uh, of other Christians, people who who essentially are under the same umbrella. It's a way of othering people in your own camp. Or, or say, oh, uh, you know, that's the church, but not God. Exactly. And, and, and what that does is that compounds someone's trauma, particularly if they have been traumatized. And so for, for us non-believers, uh, which we come in so many sh shapes and colors, um, non-believers being a bit of a catch-all term uh, for atheists, agnostics, and secular humanists, um, and perhaps a few other things. Uh, for a lot of us, um, when we come to these conversations, uh, we come having already begun that process and, um, you know, a lot of the tension sometimes that, that develops between folks like us and people who are religious, uh, and I hate to say it in, in this way, but I mean, it's been my experience that what the tension is, is uh, at, what's at the root of the tension is that you're talking to people who have not begun that process. So you can't really, um, there, there's not a whole lot of sort of, equity or understanding with your with your you know interlocutor as they say because you're not dealing with someone who who is being honest essentially intellectually or emotionally um they are being reactive um but they're not reflecting a certain kind of uh uh analysis or or um or experiential uh reflection like i have not and I say this all the time, like for especially for me, and 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 I imagine you, uh, Verda, you you are a semi a former trained seminarian. Um, you're you've been a part of the faith for a significant significant part of your life. Um, I'll just talk about myself. Um, I in many ways have as well. I'm not in a seminary, uh, but I was a former music minister and uh, and musician in a number of denominations and churches for uh, 20 something years, um, somewhere around 25 years, um, probably a little longer than that if I really am honest. Um, so I've spent a considerable amount of time in uh, these spaces, um, you know, absorbing, learning, hearing um, and participating in Christian theology as a practice and um, and also, <clears throat> excuse me, also functionally in the worship service. Like I'm, I'm a part of producing worship and the worship experience uh, in the role as a minister of music. Um, and uh, what I find is that um, because of that kind of background, when I talk, uh, when I share 
when I am asked to share uh, in a in a space of mixed company, um, I'm sort of um, I'm like a bilingual person essentially walking into a room who can speak two language two languages, and imagine like you're bilingual. I, I speak English and Spanish, and a little bit of Portuguese, but not really great. Um, but I speak English and Spanish, for example. If I walked into the room where um, I was, you know, speaking with other people who are bilingual in that language, um, you know, we could have conversations, we could go back and forth, it would be fine. Um, but if I walk into a room with people who speak only one of those languages, um, you know, there would be, uh, depending on how we conversed, we could have some tension. And, um, you know, it would be, it would be the equivalent of me speaking to someone in um, English and talking to them about Spanish and them disagreeing with me about Spanish. Mm -hmm. It's like, you don't speak Spanish though. Like you, you don't speak that language. You don't understand the, the syntax. You don't understand the sort of the arrangement of, you know, words and verbs and sentences and articles and things like that. Like you may not like what I say, but you don't speak the language. So how can you tell me? And I find that, when I speak often to, um, not all the time, but when I have moments of tension um, and disagreement with people who are Christian, who are still Christian, they want to disagree with me as if I don't know Christianity. Mm -hmm. oh, as yeah. it, you know, <laughs> as if I don't know what I'm talking about. Imagine what I've, what I've gone through. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah. just like, you don't have the benefit of, um, being a non-believer and having gone through that process and having interrogated those those beliefs and ideas and systems of culture, how can you disagree? You're having an emotional reaction. Like so, what? What's they don't. Um, they. I mean, I know that happens. That happens a lot. And in my experience, when you have theological training, it only increases. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I can't tell you the amount of times people say, well, I don't know what you're talking about or this, that, and the third. And it's like, um, one of my professors in seminary said to me, he said, you know, and this, this is a good lesson. And I still hold the heart. He said to me that you debate your peers. And it doesn't mean that you are better than everyone. But when it comes to theology, these people are not your peers. They go to Bible study and they, and yes, it's not to disregard their faith, but if we're talking about what the Christian faith is, it's history, the nuts and bolts, it can include that, but it's so much more than that. And they are not your peers. What and, was he saying? Is he, when he says you debate your peers, he's not describing, he's saying, he's saying that as a, uh, an imperative, like you should debate your peers and not the church yeah. going, mm -hmm. okay, that's right. what he's and saying. And do not debate and do not, and what I took it to mean, I added my own sauce to it, is that, you know, what I would say all the time is like, think about it. And I think this is the thing about it is too, when it particularly comes to like the academic study of like religion and Christianity, which mm -hmm. I've done since like undergrad. So mm -hmm. I've done it like for like far too long. Mm -hmm. um, if you study architecture, like people don't worship buildings mm -hmm. per se. And so, or if you're a lawyer, People don't do it the same way, or like a mechanic, but because people have such a personal relationship with faith, they think their personal experience is definitive knowledge. 
they honestly believe that they talked to God or that what they know of their experience and understanding is verifiable and the same as being able to say, well, I can read this in Greek and here's kind of what it actually is saying here. And they think that's the same. And I always am painful to say, like, I'm not disregarding, although at some point I will probably say what you're thinking is wrong, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm not disregarding or denying your, your right to believe. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, you're telling me I'm wrong and you are not, you are not in the place to tell me that I am wrong because mm-hmm. you don't know enough to tell me that I am wrong. Right. It's like me telling my mechanic that that, that part is wrong when I have no idea how to fix a car. Right. You only drop your car for a jiffy loop and you go read a magazine in, in the waiting room. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. But you don't know. You gotta, And if you need help, you got to ask somebody else who knows. So say, look, there are plenty of people with my degree and more who you can talk to. And you can go talk to them. But you can disagree with me. But you cannot, like... You can't contest it, and you certainly don't have any counter-evidence yeah. to contest it with. To contest what? you're going to have to find somebody else who's like me, and that's not you. If you like what you're hearing, or you're curious about these and other subjects, visit our Legacy Video Program Archive. It's online on our Black Nonbelievers YouTube channel. You can look it up at Black Nonbelievers Inc., all one word, directly. You can find every Legacy video from Season 1 and Season 2 there, plus much, much more. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. See you online. What? Let's. What's one of those things that someone was trying to tell you or persuade you is true that you had to say you're wrong about that? Oh God! <laughs> I need a better way to narrow that down. I think early on, one of the biggest contentions was like the Bible itself. Okay. Because now, on my behalf, part of it was just me being naive. Mm-hmm. For a large part of my seminary experience, particularly in like the first couple of years, I did not realize there was such a difference between what I was learning and what people were experiencing on Sunday morning. I because I didn't grow up in church, so I did not really get that. And they always tell you, Second Timothy, you know, uh, chapter two, verse fifteen, say it to myself approved. This so yeah. I said, okay, I'm gonna do it, yeah. and I went too far apparently. Um, but just there's a reality when you study languages and when you do translations and you know being bilingual that one, a translation itself is an interpretation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two, it's not a one for one ratio. Mm-hmm. And so at some point you have to make choices yes. about what you want a thing to say and the reality of what's in there the reality of the culture, you know, one of the first things I bumped up against was that I, and this is when I was still Christian. So I was like, you know, I'm okay with it being inspired. Mm-hmm. There's somebody being inspired to write this, but like say it is inerrant. Well, that just means perfect. And that's literally not true. And doesn't have to be an error. Like it's literally not possible mm-hmm. for the word of God to be inerrant. And then he was, was just like, well, what about the original doctors? I said, well, we don't have those. 
You know, that's one of those things that, um, you know, that's one of those things that I think is so not appreciated, you know, like when it comes to just common knowledge about the fundamentals of this particular faith tradition is that uh, insofar as they're based in texts, they're not based in anything that is original. And I think that's like super news to a lot of people. People just genuinely take it for granted that like somewhere like in the National Archives is a vault that has like the first Bible or something like that. Um, like, no, they weren't. Um, I used to teach a class for a person, a Christianity mm -hmm. class, like in their world religious class. I did it for a friend. And I would just teach like the history. Yeah. Of how we, like a very bare bones, how we got from there to here. And, you know, things that they would ever heard before. And I gave them a chance to like ask questions, ask whatever they want at the end. Of course, most of it ended up being sex questions, which still kind of blew their mind. But um, they were just like, so are you saying that the Bible isn't written by God? I said, well, I said, let's ask a different question. I said, when you realize that these people were all writing, and first of all, it's clearly obvious that it's not the same person writing the same thing. Well, that, you know, honestly, that's news as well. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people uh, either, they certainly don't know it if they, um, well, they don't appreciate it even if they do know it. Um, but a lot of people just don't even know that th we're not talking about a single author, even within a particular book. I think that the thing is, particularly when you talk about Black Christianity, mm -hmm. we still have a very oral tradition that is right. still kind of there. Yeah, and yeah. so we say things, right? right? And so it's not that we are like, you know, forget the books. It's just that we still have the remnants of that oral tradition, you know, from from from, from back home. Right. So right. there's that. But then when you have the mix of white, you know, European Christianity, which prizes the written word, like this weird mix, we are we know how to point to chapter and verse, but in terms of critical reading. Like if you take the first two chapters of Genesis, read them, put them side by side. They look there is no way that this is the same story. Yeah, it is not. It's just that. If, but if you are approaching it, reading with, oh, this is what God is telling me, and this is what I'm like. If you're a, approaching it from a different perspective, you're not reading to see what it actually is saying and following it along. It doesn't click. It doesn't click to you that wait a minute. How is there day before there's a sun? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Mm -hmm. But again, if you read Hebrew, it's a poem. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to make sense. You're mm -hmm. not trying to do science. Science wasn't even a concept of thing. Mm -hmm. And so what we're looking at common in ancient Near East cultures to have a massive origin story like that. And actually, mm -hmm. one thing that sets um, the Hebrew scriptures origin story apart is that there is no great war. Mm -hmm. God just mm -hmm. talks and stuff happens, and God, mm -hmm. like God, isn't even making anything from scratch. God is organizing. Like a better way of saying, you know, the world was void. The world was wild and waste. So think about just this. Think about a messy room and stuff yeah. is all over the place. And right. by God talking, God is organizing. Okay, this is going to be this, and this is going to be that, and we're going to put that over here. It's like you. It's like somebody cleaning up their room, right? Mm -hmm. But if you read that and then read the second 
you know, some it's discrepancies. Um, and there, I mean, that's one of the ones that are more obvious. There's other things that are nowhere near as obvious unless you like go to school and, and like see that. But I think just on its face when it's like, well, yeah, there are lots of contradictions here. And you think that if, if God were the one inspiring it all, that God would kind of remember what they were writing. Right. Or that he would um, clear it up or nullify it in a later scripture or disclaim something, perhaps maybe he changed his mind. So then in chapter three says, okay, scratch that, you know, or this is, or give some, I mean, there's so many ways that we could have had a better assurance that what we were reading is credible. Um, you All of this to say, I mean, I, I don't want to cut you off. So you, you sound like you wanted to say something else. Go ahead. Well, I think too, what happens like again with the language piece, Mm-hmm. When you know how to read Greek and Hebrew, like my Hebrew, I don't, I can't even do that, but I still have a decent amount of my Greek knowledge. Mm-hmm. And when you know, just it's like, oh, yeah, that word wasn't there. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, okay, like what I used to do, because I was like, you know, really nerdy, I would translate my verses when I would preach them. Mm-hmm. I'd get a better understanding of what it was saying. And so mm-hmm. I wouldn't, like John 3 16, I wouldn't write it like that. Mm-hmm. I would, it, what it really is kind of saying, this is how God loved the world. Not like God so loved the world. I mean, mm-hmm. well, it means the same thing, but the way it's written, it's more about tone and mm-hmm. how familiar with it. But the reality is it's saying Jesus coming to earth is how God chose to love the world. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a different tone. It yeah, that's more clear what the writer was trying to say. It's more so, um, descriptive um, as opposed to proscriptive i guess and a lot of the i mean there's so many instances like that where it's like oh yeah a translator made a choice here um and they put this because of the theology or because of who was funding the translation or we wanted to say this and not that um and just just the reality of you know i think even like thinking about myself like you said like you walk in a room and you're bilingual i think i'm somebody who you know if you learn a language in school and you can talk it, but you learn all the grammar and all like, you learn like the standard way to talk it. Mm-hmm. But if you go on, the, you go in the street, like if you, you know, you can learn Spanish mm-hmm. front to back, get to Spanish level four and mm-hmm. then go to Washington Heights and they're looking at you like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like we don't talk about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we don't so even pronounce all the letters of the words. <laughs> right, and so that's how I feel about Christianity now. It's like, I know it, yeah. but I lost the accent. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't have the accent anymore. And there's still things that people say. It's like, what is, like, I have to literally remind myself, like, oh, wait a minute. That's what that means? Yeah. I, it's like, I literally, I know what they're saying, but I I have not spoken it in a meaningful way, like in a personal way. Yeah. It's more of, oh, this is my background, research, what I know, that I've lost, I don't have a Christian accent anymore. And I think that comes through very clearly. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, we started talking about, started with talking about trauma and the dynamics of having conversation with people and how tension can arise uh, when you just exist and, Mm. um, and let alone start talking about why you exist in your most authentic self on this subject. Um, and then we got into biblical literalism 
and the ideas around what we just take for granted in our community and how that, um, to me, I see, you know, there's a temptation to think of those as two separate things, but um, I think the biblical literalism informs a lot of that tension that we have when we have these conversations because you're up against uh, a real uh, lack of, of information and education or, or miseducation and misinformation um, within people. Uh, and then once you add emotion into that, it can make for, you know, you know, at, at best, you know, some real dicey conversation, but at worst, uh, you can be completely dismissed and and uh, and re-traumatized, and, and you know that brings it back full circle to the trauma. It's like these are um, your experience is valid, right? Um, your history, your your trajectory through Christianity and out of it is real and it's valid, and um, you know it's it's a really unfortunate thing that in our communities that you know, these kinds of conversations are, are stunted um, by denying people's experience um, and denying their personal story by, by saying that you don't know what you're talking about or, you know, not all Christians, as I said earlier. Um, I, I came across a good quote uh, earlier today in a conversation I was having, which was kind of about this kind of thing. And uh, one of the uh, people said, um, just to just keep in mind that if your personal story involves being harmed by Christianity, you were harmed by Christianity and no one can take that from you. Uh, and so the real Christians, you know, that whole notion of the, the real Christians and, you know, people who want to say it's it's not us, you know, we're always benign, you know, that that's dangerous and that's traumatic to people who are already who've done the work. Well, one, it usually is them. I think that's the thing. It's like yeah. people tend to think that they're not, like maybe they did not physically themselves do something, but there's a couple of things there. One, what I found in my work is that as a people, like oppression, racism, particularly racism, all of those things, generally in my experience, and that's mostly I have to say with like black Americans, we had trouble when it comes to understanding how we can perpetuate some of that in-group, out-group within our own community, because the idea of us being the oppressed, it seems like we have trouble collectively holding the idea that we can be oppressed while being oppressive. And, and so like, so let's say for example, it's like, we're talking about race and everybody gets it, but then a black woman says, well, what about this? then it's really hard. Or what about, you know, black LGBTQ people? Then that's hard. What about black disabled people, black atheists, um, black Muslims, <laughs> you know what I mean? Black Jews, like even bring some of them into it. And so it's just this idea that, what, wait a minute, it's just, it's almost implicit, like we're oppressed, so we can never really be mean to anybody. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we can never do that because that's us. Like mm -hmm. we're that, you know, we're the ones who are oppressed. We're the ones collectively. And that also demonstrates that the idea of black is a very narrow, very, it's a very narrow, very public idea of what being black means that kind of eliminates any 
interiority, any individuality, not in a like American individualism sense, but in a we are our own people as we are in community type of thing. And that's very hard for people to get because it's like, oh, wait a minute, I can't, it's just my, like, it's, we have trouble with that. It takes a lot of work to see, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that we should stop protesting the cops. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we should stop that. What I'm saying is, is that while we're stopping that, we can also not kick your trans child out the house. Mm-hmm. We can do that too, because if we kick them out the house, the police are there, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think we really, really, that's been my experience, that we really struggle with that to have to explain why blackness is not just black, straight, men, Christian. Mm-hmm. That that's not the orbit, that that's not the, the center that blackness revolves around. It's very hard for people to get. Mm-hmm. And for the women, that it's not just black, straight, women Christian. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, that too. Because <laughs> oh, there's yeah. that exp- ex- uh, expectation in, in for women that or we're black, we're women, we're going to be, you know, Christian, especially if you're in mixed company with people of different ages. Um, that's black a hard the most religious group. They're the most religious the most. Group in, in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. The most. I mean, I mean, you know, we're having a conversation about black Christianity. I mean, the women. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. a huge block of, of the, the the lifeblood of, of so many churches. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to to so many more points of conversation with you um, because we've got a lot in store, um, and uh, Verdell and I are working on so many more explorations of of this topic, not just in terms of our own emotional and professional history, um, but also as we explore one another's experiences as queer black men. And also as people with, um, I, I don't know if disabilities is not the word I want to really use, but um, to I'll say a better for myself. Yeah, I would use it. I think people need to hear that. Right. I, I'm comfortable with saying that for myself. Okay. Um, and, and so many of the other, you know, iterations and varieties of, of human experience um, that we we share and some of them we have in common and some of them we may not. And I'm happy to talk a little bit more. For example, uh, I'm a plane crash survivor and I can't wait to talk a little bit more about... Uh, yeah, you didn't know that. No, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea about that. Yeah, I forgot. I, I'm just talking away and I'm like, oh yeah, you didn't... <laughs> yeah, to, uh, June 2nd, 2015. I'm 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 on the second chance at life right now because it was almost over for me. And um and it ties into this conversation about uh, how we interact and communicate with one another in the black community in religious terms because I got quite you can imagine I got quite a lot of, you know, God wasn't through with you yet and you I know, have a plan for you. Yeah, he got a plan for you. Oh, you here oh, for a reason. Else, I died on that flight, right? God was I never understood how God the, <laughs> like you think if God is finished with somebody, he just like send a, a carrier or something. Why do I have to drop out of the sky? I'm done with you. You can die now. Like, can you just like send a chariot or a pigeon or something? Why? Does- or just or a lightning bolt and let's just let it be over with. Like, but like, like when I'm done with the game, I just turn it off. I don't throw just it out off. the window. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, and, and I, I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, I survived. You know, I mean, there are people who die in plane crashes all the time who, you know, they're not around to, you know, be on podcasts and talk about it, you know, because they're dead, you yeah. know. So, uh, you know, how cool would it be? Uh, and that just also reminds me just really quickly in Washington, D.C., in the early the early part of this summer, maybe uh, I think late June or early July, there was a uh, footbridge over 295. You remember this? That was a uh, bridge that collapsed over the highway. And um, it was really dramatic. It's a, a fixed structure that you see when you go down highways and you kind of expect that those fixed structures would just, just stay there. Um, and to imagine this huge block of concrete just falling on the highway and potentially killing and injuring innocent and unwitting drivers is pretty scary. And, um, you know, uh, every time I, I put it like this, every time I get to a point where I'm like, you know, am I, am I having too many of these conversations? Am I, am I a little bit too, too deep into this activism that I've engaged in? There's a, there's a thing like that that reminds me, oh no, no, like this is, this is well worth the time to, to discuss these things. And I'll tell you at least why I think it's not too much. One, just from the example that you gave, I mean, it seems maybe small is not the right word, but it's like people put their whole lives around this. And I'll give you an example from one of my theology classes that I had at, at Howard and systematic, systematic theology. Mm -hmm. And we had just had um, a big storm. I think it was like a hurricane, not Sandy, but something, mm -hmm. um, something else. And, you know, the professor said, you know, I'm a pastor and I have a house in DC. I live on a block, right? And the tree, we have a big tree in our backyard and the trees were swaying. And my neighbor also had a tree in his backyard. Some branches fell off of my tree, you know, but his tree fell onto his house. Am hmm. I blessed or am I lucky? And the people stopped. I started laughing because at this point I was like wilding out anyway. But I, me and my friends are cracking up, but the rest of the folks in there are like, uh. and then someone gets to the and says, you were blessed. And he said, why? Because you serve the Lord. And I said, are we assuming that he doesn't? He said, but you're a pastor. And I said, you don't know if I'm a good one. Have you been to my church? You don't know what I've done, you know? And then he gave another example because it was a story about some unfortunate um, woman and her kids. It was like a light that stopped and she was driving through the light in the storm. And because there's no way of saying it would stop, some, some car rushed through, sent to the car, it killed her, but not the kids. And another lady was saying how, you know, well, sometimes just God, that that's how God is done. Like God is just done and ready to call people back home. And he's like, but do you think that's the way? So, so if, if God allowed her to have these children, is, is God saying that, she, that there's no need for her to be a mother anymore? And what happened was this lady lost her son. She, she was older. Some, her son was like 30 something. And so, and she kept repeating it for me. Like, you know, when God is done with somebody. You mean this, the student that was talking and asking? Yes, yeah, the, yeah, the student that was talking who said that God was done with this lady who, who died she had lost her son yeah lost her son. and she kept saying it almost like a a mantra 
like a mantra or like a video, like, I'm sorry, we're both telling our age, like a videotape that gets yeah. stuck and just keeps yeah. saying it over and over again. Yeah. And you could tell. She she we, she needed we, that. Yeah, we had to stop because she was literally, it was like. She couldn't. Commit. She was, it was like she was bumping up against the wall of the matrix, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that was what she told herself. To get through. Get through the fact that her son died. Yeah. That God, that his purpose was done. And people that can trap people in such cruel ways and it limits their lives in so many ways. Of course, we can't tell anybody what to think or what, what to believe, but I, but I do know by doing work like this, people can hear it and start doing their own thinking for their own lives and say, mm-hmm. wait, maybe I don't have to think about this. Because I know, like me personally, I'm not even I'm not even going to be like okay I want more atheists in the world I don't even care mm-hmm. you know about that per se what I do want is people to be able to make healthier decisions around the things that they believe mm-hmm. and think about it like you're worshiping a god who you think killed your son mm-hmm. for some unknown reason and that is the god that you go to church for every day you put money in the plate every day and you're living, you think this is love, but you're actually living in fear because you don't know. Mm-hmm. You've I mean, been equipped. That's one of my biggest gripes for the crucifixion, actually. It's like, it doesn't really demonstrate that God is love. It demonstrates that God, we can't really trust God. Yeah. Because God's idea of fixing something is by putting it on someone who had nothing to do with it. Yeah. He didn't yeah. kill the Romans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he yeah. killed Jesus. You know, yeah. So, yeah, I think the work, it's, if nothing else, people need to hear that somebody else is thinking. So that way it gives them permission to think and to think, wait a minute, maybe I can think too. Even if they don't end up where you or I are, just the idea that, hmm, maybe I can think about this differently. And maybe I can think about this in a way that actually leads to me being a healthier person instead of being basically worshiping your tormentor, which... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is the reality for most people, but yeah, please keep doing it. Absolutely. And and to be able to have better tools for the next catastrophe that almost inevitably will befall all of us at some point or another, um, because unfortunately, or, or it, it's not even a, a good fortune or not, life will bring those kinds of challenges to us sooner or later. And if they don't bring it to us, they're going to bring it to our neighbors or our other family members. And if we have better tools, then we can have better wellness as we go through life. Um, that's, that's, that's the whole point of, like you said, having these conversations, um, and, and examining where we are and where we're headed. Yeah, I agree. Guess what? We've got mail. Or should I say, where we're headed has got mail. In addition to the show website, which is at www.podbean.com, 
where you can find all relevant information from past episodes, links, resources, and so much more. We've got a new email address where you can reach out and you can send comments, you can send suggestions, and you can also send voice notes with your own personal touch. Send us your feedback, give us a compliment, or give us a suggestion. You can reach us at bndcpodcast at gmail.com. That's bndcpodcast at gmail.com. And once again, our show website is www.podbean.com. Okay, Nola, the Puritan one with Paula. Ciao. This is fire. I'm telling you, y'all got me fired up. I, I can relate. jacked up like this. I was raped three times in one night at eight years old by my great uncle. I know what a jacked up life is. I was molested by his son at 14 in the parking lot of our church. I know what a jacked up life is. I've done so many things that are too heinous to tell you because the Bible said it's a shame to speak about things that you did in darkness. I know what a jacked up life is. I know what it feels like to be torn between your mind and your, and your flesh. I know what it is to deal with a family that is riddled with drug addiction and drug selling. I know what it is. But I also know what it is for the love of God to come in and change the whole family. The father gets saved and the mother comes back to Jesus and the sister, my older sister right there and my sisters come to know God and now a generation blessing is passed down. The curse is destroyed because of the love of Jesus. It's destroyed because of the love of Jesus, y'all. So yeah, I will preach this gospel. I will get on plane after plane, masked up like a beekeeper and go and take this gospel around the world again because I am a testimony. You are a testimony. I could keep going with you because you and I both can talk. I want to just kind of put a imaginary marker there unless you want to you want to if you want to add something to it and you feel like you didn't say enough um i'm happy to you know the tape is still rolling it's not a tape but you know it's still rolling <laughs> i think i'll add one thing and it's something that i've been writing about and thinking through um about how even on that idea how a lot of spiritual advice and encouragement kind of assumes that you it it engenders a sort of self-centeredness that and, and that's hard, a self-centeredness and a selfishness. That. And that's, that's hard to kind of sit with. But the idea is it actually hurts the individual because the idea is that if you just do the right thing, you have the right ritual, you have enough faith, the right kind of faith, do the right kind of thing, even in the more progressive-ish type of way, the way people try to package it now, 
Um, even in that, and even when it's not Christian, even when it's like, well, let me get the right crystals and, mm-hmm. you know, let me see what these, I need to know where I'm going. Let me flip these cards over, you know, and I don't mean to demean these things, but I also don't want to pretend like I don't, like I, I, I respect that people practice them. I'm not going to change why I don't put my stock in them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea that everything is about you. Yeah. And when you think everything is about you, then everything is also your fault. You know, it's, it's interesting because that is the exact sort of template that is used on people like us in conversation to explain and dismiss our position. Mm-hmm. So when you have that idea of the religion and faith that I practice is principally about me. And this is my benefit. And this is my interest. Then when you run into someone who's a non-believer, who's someone who's questioning or skeptical, or who's just completely like done with it, you tend to use that same lens or that template to view that other person and say, oh, they're doing it because this benefits them in some personal, um, unique sort of right. interest. And that's the wrong lens to view that other person. I mean, for many of us, uh, as we were just talking about, um, you know, if you never lost a child or if you were never in a plane crash, the way that you arrived at your reasoning out of your faith would still be correct, even if it never benefited you because you never had to deal with that kind of loss, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're not, you're not an atheist because, um, you know, it's, I mean, yes, it does have, uh, there's a specific interest that you have in terms of an experience, but even if none of those things were true for you, you'd still have just as much reason to say, this doesn't make sense. And I I don't believe it. Which is very hard. People because they think that ultimately is like, it's again, you don't see people to say, wait, what? This makes no sense. Or either that or, when they're confronted with, oh, this isn't special. Here are 50 other places that do something similar. 50 mm-hmm. Other trains believe that thing. Like, it's not, oh, wow. So you think that's sacrificing something? Make that That's not, sacrifice isn't special. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but it really, and I think particularly, because I'm, I'm a teensy bit younger than you, particularly for folks that are like, you know, older millennials and younger millennials too. Mm-hmm. I really see this with, one of the reasons people are depressed is because they think it's all their fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you do all the, and it's, it's the way spirituality is weaved through it in brain. It's like, mm-hmm. if you go to school, if you do right, mm-hmm. we're going to get this, we're going to mm-hmm. get that. This is going to happen. And we don't, it's yours. Possible. Like it's yours. It's just a matter of time. You got to wait it out. It's yours for the you asking. Know, yeah, it's, it's just yours. You know what I mean? And and the more woke way of saying the universe is in your favor kind of thing. And, but it's self-centered. And the reality is nobody ain't thinking about you. Ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis, as the movie would say. And that is the truth. And that sounds harsh. Um, but you know, you're going up the street and you get hit by a car. If you were not there, somebody else were there, they would have got hit by that car because the person speeding was not thinking about you. Right. It sucked right. what happened to you, but it's when you realize, yes, it's not that we don't have, say, an influence over certain things, very particular things, 
But there are so many things that are not contingent upon whether or not we come and go mm-hmm. to think that solely our efforts are what's going to make it okay. Mm-hmm. One of this denies community in reality is like there are other people besides you. Mm-hmm. And there's some kid that's crying for water and you're praying for a parking spot. And because you have your parking spot, you think God is seeing you while the other kid is like dehydrated. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's, it makes it harder for you to actually be kinder to yourself because you think that everything that went wrong, it's somehow your fault and you have to somehow figure out how to do this thing right so you will get what you feel that you are supposed to have. And the reality is there is no supposed to. Yeah. (laughs) I I think that, you know, it's so interesting that the idea of a name it and claim it kind of gospel or, or message has understandably been so attractive and, and it's literally sold, um, throughout Christianity, like as in, it's not just a, a catch, catchy phrase. It's actually a commodified phrase that has earned people money. Um, and I'll speak, uh, if nothing else, I'll speak, uh, on that from the musical standpoint. You can sell a song as a gospel artist singing that level of, of, of thinking, name it and claim it. It is yours. Um, I don't know is rich. Yeah. I mean, like you can cash checks and have a good life if you adopt that kind of thinking. Um, but, uh, you know, it's um, it's it's one of those things where it actually it, it wants to sound spiritually mature, but it's actually one of the most spiritually immature things I think you could say. Even if I were to put on my spiritual hat and say, yes, this all I, I take on a spiritual worldview. Um, I think that would be, I mean, even the Buddhists, you know, when one of the first things you learn when you're studying Buddhism is that the, the elimination of the self is a part of the the sort of ascension of, you know, your higher, you know, whatever your self is. Um, and it seems really strange to me and paradoxical that, you know, so much of Christianity and particularly Black um, prosperity oriented Christianity is based on this idea of name it and claim it and things that belong to you that are yours. Um, as a reflection of spiritual maturity. Um, and to me, the irony is like, no, it's actually really immature to think that way. No, it's a, oh gosh, we're going on here now. Uh, there is a, yes, that is true. There is also, there are also some cultural realities. Like it's a reason why the prosperity gospel took root Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. And, and and other places that are like us or aspiring to be like us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Particularly amongst um, marginalized groups, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of times, and from the work that I've done on this, it it's not that people necessarily even want gilded, you know, runway gold yeah. faucets. It's, it's aspirational. Do, well, yeah, and but then also they don't have their basic needs met, right? And right. so, what seems like like it's yeah, the guy in the suit in the Bentley, and they see all that, but their needs are so basic and not being met. Like I'll never forget, like in seminary, they gave an example, and we were talking about it. I forgot who gave it. It might have been me. I don't remember, but there, Joe works at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Joe has gout and diabetes. Mm-hmm. 
he works whatever two hours shy you need to get health insurance. Mm -hmm. But he can't stand up because he has gout Mm -hmm. or whatever, right? He got to pick between going to the urgent care to get a bill that he can't afford Mm -hmm. or, you know, which means he'd miss work, Mm -hmm. which means he wouldn't be able to afford his rent Mm -hmm. or maybe even get fired Mm -hmm. because I'll fill that spot. And so he limps home. Mm-hmm. He's up at night later because he's in pain. Mm-hmm. And Peter Popoff comes on the TV. Yeah, and he's saying I got magic all the things. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he sends some money in. Mm-hmm. That is not... It's less delusion and more desperation. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, yeah, I, I agree with that. That yeah, absolutely, yeah, and 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 that's also something that you know we talk about tools and having you know better tools. That's that's something that um, that unfortunately um, doesn't uh, sort of align with 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 that that hope or that need to have better tools or or what should be. And on the other end, it's um, you know it's exploiting people who are desperate. Yeah. Yeah, you it's know. exploitive. It's like they, and I mean, a lot of t- there are situations where the person themselves preaching it believes it too. Yeah. No. Um. And then there are other times where I mean, yeah, there's a char- there's a shawl charlatan, of course, but I think that it shows when there's a breakdown in society, people tend to look up instead of out. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Where yeah, it's the shucksters and the hustlers and all, all that negative stuff is true. But when it comes to the actual rank and file adherence, they're just trying to get red paid. Yeah. And this is their last hope. Like they're they're giving a tie that they can't afford. Mm-hmm. They don't have any other option. Yeah. And I think that's important to um, you know, to highlight and and say, okay, this is they don't well, they you know, they can't go to school, they don't they can't go anywhere else, they can't leave with it. So they're giving ties. Because they are hoping against hope that something it's like going to play the lottery, going to play the numbers. You know, this is my this is my one shot out. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna I'm gonna play this picket and maybe one day something will happen. There's also a, another thread that, that takes me down to because um, you know, uh and I I'll find the studies uh I need to make a little note. Um there are studies that show that that kind of or the volume of that kind of preaching and and reaction to those types of messages are they take hold and have a lot more uh, they're a lot they're, they're, they're a lot stronger in nations and communities where there's higher amounts of social and economic inequality mm-hmm. so in cases where there's a lot of economic depression and low wage jobs and, and a lot of poverty and so forth uh, juxtaposed to wealth and opulence um, that is the recipe for uh, someone to be able to come into uh, that community or or to not only take advantage of uh, communities like that, but for on the other end, for the people who are on the lower end of the economic spectrum, for them to to find hope and and admiration in those messages. And that creates uh, a, a, a real, you know, sort of uh, ugly dynamic. And we see this in, in, in West Africa. We see it in Nigeria. We see it in, in so many places uh, around what they call the, the global south, uh, where... Uh, countries that have wealth, 
but don't do a great job of spreading it um, equitably among its citizens uh, have these people who are coming in and um, and essentially flaunting wealth and opulence in front of them and taking advantage of people's uh, aspirations and desperations uh, with religious language like that. I believe there was an episode of Sanford and Son that was mm-hmm. about that. Oh God, I'm dating myself. Yes, but, now you're talking tapes and now Sanford and Son. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't remember it really so I have to find it, but like the, like, it caught on very early on for those very reasons that you are saying. It's mm-hmm. not, it's like, you know, like Daddy Grace, Fine, mm-hmm. all these types of people, these are uh, um, figures that were in America, but often are like from like the islands or somewhere else too. Mm-hmm. So it's still a diaspora thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I think it's important to highlight that part because it's very easy. And this is where I get often the pushback from people who are more atheist agnostic. It's like you're, it's a religion is a human thing. Absolutely. And I understand that people equate religion and theism, even though they're not the same. Mm-hmm. Religion is older than theism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's something, I mean, there have been all types of studies of the brain, things like that, whatever. Mm-hmm. But one thing that seems to be, everything seems to be pointing to the fact that there's something about us as human beings that allows for something religion-like to appear. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons why humans are in the position where we are is because we can communicate, we can hold knowledge, we can share knowledge. We don't have to evolve mm-hmm. like something to get better. We can say, hey, I went this way. There was a tiger there. It bit me. See that? Mm-hmm. Don't go that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And then everybody knows not to go that way. We don't have to wait millions of years to, get a, a, to be able to outrun or beat the lion. We can just mm-hmm. say, hey, I saw a lion. Don't go that way. And then everybody knows mm-hmm. not to go that way. And so it's something about that. Yeah, and that, and that creates a lore almost. I mean, it, yeah. it creates a story that that is uh, efficacious, but it also can uh, simultaneously create lore and and myth and yeah. perhaps legend, which could Humans develop love, into. What is it called? It's, it's, I, believe, I believe it's called the theory of the mind. It's like mm-hmm. this idea that if something happens, then someone or something like us did it. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, and, and on the one hand, that allow. I mean, even though there are, when you talk about neurodiversity, there are challenges to that type of idea and things, different ways to approach it. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that the reason why we see a puppy and love it and treat it like a baby is because it has the way the eyes look at everything and it reminds us of a human child mm-hmm. or, we, you know, things that resemble or do things that remind us of humans we treat humanly. Mm-hmm. Cuz you don't do that to baby roaches and Yeah, we don't do that like baby baby roaches aren't cute to us. Yeah. You know, we don't do that to baby snakes. You yeah. know, we don't but you know like even like a tiger will tear mm-hmm. you apart, but yeah. we want the baby cub. We don't want a baby, you know, mm-hmm. a baby wombat. Yeah. You know, we don't really want anything like that, you know, but yeah. um, and so this idea that oh, you're in the woods is thousands of years ago and it's raining. Oh, someone is upset someone must have made it rain mm-hmm. and impulses and everything so that's why it's like you're not going to get rid of religion because religion is a byproduct of who we are yeah theism is a different story but religion religion is why people do what they do at baseball games yeah. it's why they fill out a michael jackson concert yeah why there's the stand wars yeah you know what i mean it's everywhere and i don't think you'll you have to be aware of it so you can harness it the right way but there's something about 
that cooperative togetherness mm-hmm. that clearly has go goes astray many a times, mm-hmm. but also is a function of why humans are in the position that we're in. Yeah. Um, but the idea of God is where I think there's the most room for change um, in, in that regard. And so it's like, what I say is that, you know, you can't, you cannot shame somebody who is, because the reality is Psalm 23 might be the only thing that gets that person out of their bed because mm-hmm. they've had no other options. They've mm-hmm. had no, like we talked about earlier, tools. Mm-hmm. They don't have any other tools. This is all they've got. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's presumptive to, on the one hand, yes, critique the situation and the realities around it, but then to attack people, yeah. um, which I think happens a bit too often. Yeah. It's like, this person has no understanding of anything you're saying. They're just trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. And this is the only tool they have to get through it. And you're not even trying to give them a different tool. They didn't express that they wanted a different tool. You're just trying to dunk on them. Mm-hmm. Um, be like, oh, that's so silly. And I'm so, like, I will never say that, yeah, I've grown. And that's why I'm no longer a Christian. And I'll hold to that. But I understand that for other people, like I know some folks that I, I don't talk to anymore. It's like if you took church away, they would like cease to exist, <laughs> <laughs> and they have no tools to actually conceptualize themselves out of you know running around and tying a bow tie on Sunday morning. And I don't even say that pejoratively. It's just like it's true. It's like this person is like literally they are churched, and yeah. anything outside of that they struggle with. They don't really know how to navigate it, and that's a huge psychological blow to have to deal with it. And I think particularly when it comes to black people, we don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. Church is one of the last things that's ours for better or for worse. Yeah. And so it's like I said, when in terms of culture, people sometimes go to church, they don't even care about the sermon. It's where black people are, you know? And so I think those are important things to hold and consider while still talking about the realities of the harm um, that it's caused. Hi, this is Rogier. Hi, this is Verdell. And this is where we're headed. Are you currently on a faith journey of your own? Are you questioning, seeking to find community in a way that's outside of traditional religious institutions, or reimagining yourself in relationship to your community and your surroundings as a formerly religious person? You're not as alone as you think you are. There are communities and people and organizations that exist to help people like you in your own journey along the way of life, in your questions, in humanism, free thought, in social justice, education, LGBTQ advocacy, scholarships, and more. You are absolutely not the only one. There are others like you, and we're organized, we're engaged, we're active, we're protesting, communicating, and we're trying to live healthy lives as best and ethically as we possibly can, and to have a little fun along the way. Learn more about some of these organizations, like the ones that have produced this podcast, Where We're Headed. You can find out more at American 
AmericanHumanist.org and BlackNonBelievers.org. That's the American Humanist Association at AmericanHumanist.org. And on Facebook, search us at Black Nonbelievers of DC and Black Nonbelievers at BlackNonBelievers.org. Find us online, support today, check us out. Once again, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. That was Verdell Wright and myself, Ro, here just talking and processing together. Something that we do anyway, but it was nice to just do it for you guys. And hopefully it helps you in your own processing. Because we're all just trying to figure out where we're headed. We'll see you next time.